So it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I mean, if you know, there are many gods that the world worships, but there is only one true and living God. Verse 10, and await, everybody say wait, wait, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you today that your word is alive and full of power. It is an incorruptible, indestructible seed that lives and abides forever. And I thank you, Father, that whenever and wherever the seed of your gospel is sown, it grows up and it produces fruit. And so, Father, today our desire is to have a heart that is fertile so that the seed of the gospel will grow and produce fruit in our life. Produce whatever it is that we have need of today, whether it's a, a healing or a touch in our body, whether it's freedom from fear and anxiety and depression, whether it's whether it's a, a, um, a financial miracle in our life, whether it's uh, uh, ha having hope where there's hopelessness. So, Father, we ask you today by your Holy Spirit, the great teacher, to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive everything that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we see here that Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica and he speaks to this church that had been consumed and eaten up with idolatry. But he says to them, everywhere we go, we are hearing of your faith. I mean, I think that's a powerful statement. He says, everywhere we go, not just in this region, but everywhere we go. How many of you know Paul went everywhere? He said, everywhere we go, we hear of your faith. So people in the community and people in the region were talking about the change that had happened in these individuals. He said, you have turned from your idols to the true and living God. He said, you were obsessed with idols, but suddenly, everybody say suddenly, you are declaring one true God. You had many gods, but now you are declaring the one true God and you're serving the one true God. And there's one other statement that he makes here. He said, and you are waiting. I want to talk today about earnestly or eagerly waiting for the coming of the Lord. I'll be honest, I would much rather preach about faith or righteousness or determination or success, but I feel like we are living in an age where we have to eagerly and earnestly and yearn for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't say that that, that we have the attitude, of, I just, I just want to hold on until he comes back. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about an, an escape theology. I just hate this world and I hate everything about it, so I just want to get the heck out of here. I just want to be done. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about earnestly and eagerly waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read this to you in the Message Bible, and I want you to notice the characteristics of a life that has been transformed. So let's read it again 
in the Message Bible. You can just listen. Do you know that all over the provinces of both Macedonia and Achaia, believers look up to you? The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the Master's word. Not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. We don't even have to say anything anymore. You're the message. That's powerful. This is Paul. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's like, we hardly even had to preach any longer. You're the message. The word has gotten out that there's something completely and totally transformed about your life. You know, my hope for all of us is that is our testimony. People can see that there is something absolutely different about us. People come up and tell us how you received us with open arms, how you deserted the dead idols of your old life so you could embrace and serve God, the true God. They marvel at how expectantly you wait the arrival of His Son, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from certain doom. So what are the characteristics of a life that's been transformed? Number one, you turn from idols. You're not the same person. You don't live for the same reasons. You don't have idols. See, listen, an idol is anything that is bigger than God in your life. Anything that you would exalt above God. Look over here at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. Just have to turn back a few pages. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with this great cloud of witnesses. How many of you know that there are those that have walked and lived and preached before us that are looking down over the banisters of heaven, cheering us on, encouraging us? And it says that there's this great cloud of witness, and look what it says here. Let us lay aside every weight, everybody say weight, and sin, say sin, to lay aside. It doesn't mean to embrace or to cling or to hold on. It says to lay aside. Right? To lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us. Notice that, that he delineated between weights and sins. Weights aren't necessarily sin and sin isn't necessarily weight. There are certain things that are not classified as sin, but they will keep you from fulfilling your purpose. What does a weight do? It holds you back. It holds you back. So he says an, an idol, I mean the definition of an idol is anything that's bigger than God in your life. So he says you've turned from idols, all of them to the one and true living God. Then he makes this powerful statement. He said, and we're hearing everywhere and everyone in the community talking about how you're waiting for the soon return of the Son of God from heaven. So notice they had something about them that wasn't just saved and wasn't just transformed and, and, and that wasn't just that they turned from idols. It wasn't just that they were born again and baptized. But part of their testimony was that these people were eagerly and earnestly waiting for Jesus to come back again. And unfortunately, I think in the body of Christ, we've lost an element of that. I remember when I was young, we, we, we talked about it all the time. I remember when I was in Bible school, we talked about it all the time. And it wasn't, it wasn't in the sense of, I just want out of here. Because there's really two groups of people. There's one group that just wants out because they don't like it anymore. And then there's another group is they don't really want him to come because they don't feel like they've really lived yet. 
You know, I, I want to get married. I want to have kids. I, I, I want to get a job. I want to have a, I want to, I want, I want, I want these things before Jesus comes back. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But you have this one group, they just, they just want to escape. And then you have this other group, they, they are not quite ready. But in the middle, Paul says we need to earnestly and eagerly wait for the coming of Jesus. You know, when I heard the word eagerly and earnestly, I think of faith. I think of a, a determination. I think I, I, I can't just sit back and, and wait in the sense of doing nothing. Right? I'm actively believing. I'm actively putting principles into practice in my life so that when He returns, I'm ready. Because I don't know about you, I want to hear these words from Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You did what I wanted you to do. How many of you know there are things that God wants you to do? He created you for a divine purpose. Ephesians 4, 7 says, Unto every one of us has been given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Peter said that there are manifold gifts and graces of God. So in other words, God has placed giftings and anointings and purposes in our life. And other people are directly connected to those giftings and those anointings and those gracings. And for those people to be reached, God needs you to step into your purpose. Right. Amen. So he says, you've turned from idols, all of them, to the one true and living God. They're fully expecting the return of the Son of God from heaven. And listen, we've done the same. We've, we've turned from foolishness, from emptiness, and from serving dead things that cannot satisfy. And we have been washed in the blood of Jesus. And we are serving one God, Jehovah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we declare that Jesus is Lord and He's coming for us and we're waiting for Him. Do you believe that? Yes. See, listen, the next great thing to happen in the church, the last prophecy to be fulfilled, the last thing to be fulfilled in the church age is the return of Jesus. What's amazing is that there is absolutely nothing that is holding Jesus back other than the precious fruit of the earth. It's the only thing. There's nothing that has not yet been fulfilled. There's nothing that is restricting Jesus from coming back to receive His church. So if He wanted to, He could come back on Father's Day. What a great Father's Day gift to His Father. Because after all, God gave His Son so that He could have many sons. Amen? What does the Bible says? It says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And the reason that He gave His only begotten Son is so that He could have many sons. Right? So what happened? He sowed one son... And he reaped many. So the coming of the Son of God from heaven is the next great event in human history. Suddenly believers will be taken out with no warning. The Bible said, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to be the most amazing cataclysmic event that the world has ever seen. Suddenly millions of people gone. And Hollywood has made it into a fairy tale. Right? Because they don't want it to have the true impact that it, that it will. They, you know, I think they want, want everybody to believe that when, when everybody's gone, 
aliens came and stole us away or something. Isn't it unusual all the alien movies abducting people right in the greatest time in human history? But you know, millions of people will suddenly vanish from the earth. What an event. It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be caught up to heaven. Wow. We will leave this world. That's what Scripture teaches profoundly. We know that is what they were doing. They were earnestly expecting and anticipating this thing to happen. And if they were doing that thousands of years ago, how much more? And I know some of you have heard this for 20 and 30 years and we start to wonder, well, you know, are we right? Maybe, you know, every generation has thought Jesus has come back, is going to come back. But see, that's the trap that we would lose that hope. That we would lose that expectancy. Because there's something that charges our faith when we're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When we have this expectation that Jesus could come back at any moment. When I think about that, that makes me want to live a little bit better. But when it's the furthest thing from your mind, your actions aren't nearly as important to you, unfortunately. But there's something that this revelation does in us that causes us to want to serve the one true and living God with every fiber of our being. So we're waiting. We have been delivered from idols. We are serving God. He's delivered us from the wrath to come. Aren't you glad about that? You've been delivered from the wrath to come. And we're waiting for the Son of Heaven. The Bible teaches us that we're not the only ones waiting. Let's jump over to Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Romans 8, 22. For we know that the whole creation, say the whole creation, creation. groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. The Bible says we've only received the first fruit of our redemption. I mean, our redemption is pretty spectacular. Right? The Bible says that that, uh, old things He took away and He made you new. Right? You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's already worked a wonderful miracle. I'm starting to preach a little bit. But see, it's, it's going to get even greater than that. You think what you have now, you think that God depositing Himself on the inside of you was great. Wait for that to affect you from the inside all the way to the outside. It says, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, earnestly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You see in this phrase throughout the Bible, eagerly awaiting. He's saying that that everything that God made in creation, the stars, the moon, the sun, the earth, the mountains, the seas, the trees, the plants, the flowers, are anxiously and eagerly waiting the moment that the trumpet sounds. We have something to wait for. 
We have something to look forward to. Something better than sporting events, praise the Lord. I love watching sporting events, but there's something greater than sporting events. There's something better than a job promotion. There's something better than a new car or a new house. We have something that we're waiting for. And the whole creation is earnestly waiting. That's why sometimes the earth has birth pains. We would call them earthquakes and hurricanes and uh, storms and tornadoes and freaks of nature. The earth has been under a curse since Adam fell and Eve fell. And it's eagerly waiting the moment they can be restored as beautiful as the world is, it's still under a curse. Think about this. Every flower in your yard, in your garden, is beautiful. But it's not as beautiful as it knows it can be because it's cursed. Imagine when that trumpet sounds, how the earth will respond. When it gets the curse off of it, when the sun comes. That's why Jesus said, as the time approaches for my return, there will be earthquakes in diverse places. It's just, it's just another testimony that Jesus is coming back for His church. And we need to prepare ourselves. We need to get ready. Jesus said, occupy till I come. He didn't say get lazy and lackadaisical and, 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 and just, just kind of live life the way you want. He said, occupy till I come. Right? Even in occupying, you may not be taking territory, but you still have to guard and protect what belongs to you. Or the enemy will come in and try to take it. Even Jewish rabbis teach that when Messiah comes, even the dirt will glow. See, listen, we've gotten used to ugliness. I was just in Los Angeles. There's a lot of ugly there. I flew over Las Vegas. There's a lot of ugliness. I drove over Arizona. There's a lot of ugliness. They, they say Iowa's boring and ugly. They've never flown over Nebraska, Kansas, uh, uh, East Texas, Arizona, and Southern California. Ugliness. It's a lot of fun, but it's ugly. The earth is ugly. It's not all that God created it to be. It's not what God created in the Garden of Eden. That's God's original intent. And when that trumpet sounds, that will be restored. The curse will be lifted off of the earth. The curse will be lifted off of your physical body because the Bible says you will receive a glorified body. Can anybody say hallelujah for that? That means when you walk down the steps, your knees don't creak. And your hips, you're like, oh, oh, oh my goodness. You gotta, you gotta debate whether you're gonna walk up the steps. I know some of you younger people, Philip's thinking, you need to come to me and I can fix that. I don't know if you can fix old age, but you can fix some of the creaks, right? Okay. You know, a couple weeks ago, uh, we were driving in Des Moines and uh, on I-35 and a big truck came in and plowed into the back of Amy and I. We were going for my birthday dinner. And so we spent about an hour and a half on the side of I-35. But uh, uh, I, I know what it means when you say, you know, some people use this. They say, you know, I, I woke up this morning. I feel like I got hit by a Mack truck. I know what it feels like to be hit by a Mack truck. The next morning, Amy and I, we can hardly move. Every I felt like I worked out. So anyway, I, I don't really know why I said that, but our bodies are fragile, right? 
and the, just the wear and tear on your body is inevitable because we've not yet received our full redemption, our glorified bodies. Right? No longer will you walk up a flight of stairs and you get to the top and you can't, can't, can't even talk because you need about, say, give, give me about 30 seconds. And you walked up like six steps. You'll get to heaven and Peter's like, come on, let's go for a five-mile run. Right? Let's do four-minute miles today. Glorified by, I mean, you know, I don't even think you're going to have to run in heaven because you can just think, you know, I, I, I'm here and, and I want to go there and that's about 10 miles away. Oh, I'm there. Cool. It's not a fairy tale. You remember what Jesus did when he received his glorified body and walked on the earth? He's walking on the, on the road together with a couple people and boom, he's gone. He, he walks through the wall of the upper room. And that's what you got, got to look forward to. No more running. No more long walks. Just, wow, I'm there. No abracadabra, no bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, just... I want to be there. I'm there. I know some of you are thinking it's crazy and it's a fairy tale. It's not. The Bible proves this stuff out. So he says in, there in verse 23, he says, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting. There, there's a homesick feeling that is supposed to be on the inside of each of us. I remember times where I'd, I'd been away for a week or 10 days or two weeks on a missions trip. And, I'd, I, and while I was there, I was graced. I was busy. I, I, I just had so much to do. But I would get on that airplane and I would start thinking about Amy and I'd think about my kids and I'd think about home. And I, that, that eight or 10 hour trip just seemed like an eternity because I was eagerly awaiting to see my family. There's just like a homesick feeling on the inside of me. And that, that's how it ought to be when we think about heaven. When we, we think about uh, uh, what we have in store for us in the future. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says, To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin, for salvation. There's supposed to be something in us that we live every day. Jesus could come today, but we do know this, Jesus is coming soon. It was the testimony of those Christians in Thessalonica that they had turned from idols, that they had seen a change. They were no longer worshiping these idols. They were born again. And the one main proof of that is that they were eagerly waiting. They were believing that Jesus could come back at any moment. Amen? You know what that does in me, and just, 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 just as a result of thinking about these things and studying this, it puts this passion and desire in me to live right. To live clean. Jesus is coming. The, the, the decisions that we make in our life are not based on fleshly feelings of what will satisfy us today, but for eternity. Should be on the mind of every believer. We should live in such a way that we would not be ashamed if He came today. See, listen. We can love this life. 
man, you can love this world. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your life, but you must remember that this is your second citizenship. The wonderful thing about the kingdom of God is you can have dual citizenship. But this is your secondary citizenship. You can love your life. You can love this world. You can even love the things of this world. But look at what it says in Matthew chapter 6. I mean, you know, there's a difference between loving something and serving something. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon was just the, the, the Chaldean god of money. He's saying you, you can't serve God and serve money. Right? And that, that can carry over into relationships. It can carry over into things. There's nothing wrong with having those things and desiring those things, but there's a difference between taking that to the next level and serving it. Our primary residence and citizenship is in a place somewhere beyond the clouds. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, 20. Everybody doing all right? It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it doesn't say wait, but what does it say? Look. Right? Looking, waiting, yearning. For our citizenship is in heaven. The New King James Version says, From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. Woo! There's the proof you needed right there, huh? According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. The Amplified Bible says, but we are different because our citizenship is in heaven. How many of you know that people from other places are different? They have different culture. They have different ways of doing things. It doesn't make, make them right or wrong. But see, you're a citizen of another place. And the ways of that place are different than the ways of this place. Right? The ways of that nation, the nation of heaven, is different than this. But we are different because our citizenship is in heaven. And from there, we eagerly wait the coming of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Message Bible says, but there, there's far more to life for us. Aren't you glad that there's far more? Because you know what? It doesn't matter how many things you have. They don't truly and completely fulfill you and complete you. Because there's something on the inside. If you'll yield to it and you begin to yearn for it, there'll become a desire. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. I like that. I'm a citizen of high heaven. Amen. High heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ. The Living Bible says, but our homeland is in heaven. Your homeland is in heaven, where our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, and we are looking forward to His return from there. See, our main residence is not this old world. We are eagerly waiting for the trumpet to sound 
We are eagerly waiting for Jesus Christ to come back. And what, listen, this is what I said before. There's the group of people that, that they just want out of here. And then there's another group of people, they, they say, well, you know, I, I, would, I would literally like to kind of live my life. Could, could, could you just wait a little while? But see, whatever you think you don't want him to come back for, because you want to experience it here, nothing compares to the joys and the pleasures and the things that await you on the other side. Nothing. Heaven is a real place. Brother Hagin always said that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And it not it interesting that there, there is a, a force in the earth that's trying to convince us that there really isn't a heaven and a hell. That, that you're, just, you're just, everyone's just the same and you're going to believe different and do different things when you live on the earth, but we're all just going to end up in the same place. <coughs> Wrong. Wrong answer. Just, just try that and see where it gets you. Well, I know where it'll get you. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. Interesting, the Bible talks probably more about heaven and hell than it does anything else. Heaven's a real place. Heaven has one door, and that door is Jesus. Heaven has one gate, and that gate is Jesus. Heaven has one road, and narrow is the road, and few there be that enter in. Heaven has dimensions. It has measurements, it has streets, it has mansions, it has housing, it has cities, it has vegetation. It's a real place. I long to see it. I long to walk down those streets of gold. There's no limitations on your physical bodies when you get to heaven. There's no death in heaven. The curse is forever gone and we will never die. You don't have to fear death. You'll never die. There's no death in heaven. And Jesus came and when He redeemed humanity, He gave us the first fruits of that redemption. Do you remember when Jesus taught the disciples to pray? He said, pray that my will in heaven would be done on the earth. So ultimately, if you want to know the will of God on earth, all you have to do is look to heaven. There's no death in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven. There's no fear in heaven. There's no anxiety and depression in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. Job said this, the days of our life on earth are few and filled with sorrow. I mean, think about this. Your life begins by you coming out of your mother's womb and the doctor pulls you up and slaps you on the behind and your first sound is, <laughs> you come out crying. And then you want, you're hungry. And what do you do? At two months, you don't say, Mom, I'm hungry. And what do you do? And then you mess your diaper. What do you do? You don't go sit on the toilet. And what does Mom do? She changes it. She feeds you. And then the first day you go to school. It's not just baby crying, it's mom crying. <laughs> and then you become a teenager and a boy breaks your heart and what do you do? You sit in your room for three days. Ah! 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 I can't live, I'm never going to live my life again. I love this person so much. I mean, Job said, days of our life on earth are few and filled with sorrow. Doesn't mean every, every day. I'm, but listen, when you get to heaven, there is no more sorrow. Amen? 
Bible says when you get to heaven, God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. This is, this is something I can't look forward to. I, I can't look forward to. As you get to heaven, there are no bad days in heaven. How many of you ever have a bad day? Well, three of you, praise the Lord, are telling the truth. As Pastor Dave says, after the service, we'll have a prayer line for liars because we don't want you to go to hell, right? How many of you ever have a bad day? Yeah. Some people are like on a, on a wave of a bad week or a bad month. But you know what? You get to heaven, there's no more bad days. Because there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, there's no, <clears throat> there's no more creaky bones and dislocated hips and sore muscles. There's none of that in heaven, praise the Lord. There's no more despair, no more disappointment, no more fear, no more worry. I like this one. There's no more temptation. Oh, praise the Lord, Jeff. I, I'm never tempted. Again, after the service. Doesn't the Bible say, casting down imagination and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Isn't our mind constantly being bombarded with thoughts that would contradict God's will and purpose for our lives? You get to heaven, there's no more devil. No more devil. Listen, you want, you want to know why some people don't care? They don't care about this message. They don't care about waiting. It's because they're carnal. They're carnal. They set their affections on things that are below and not on things that are above. Because when you get full of the Holy Spirit and you get, and, and you get tired of the sorrows and the disappointments of life, this world loses its grip on you. I, I can honestly say, I don't care where I live. I don't care what I drive. I don't care what kind of house I live in. I'm to the point in my life where I just want to serve God and do what He wants me to do. The world loses its grip on you. And when it does, something in you begins to yearn and eagerly wait for the coming of Jesus. I'm young and I have a lot of living to do. But if the Lord decides to return today, I don't have a problem with that at all. How about you? I don't have one problem with Him coming back today. I'm ready. In Colossians chapter 3, Verse 1, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If you then be risen with Christ, how many of you have been risen with Christ? All you have to do is read Romans 6, 7, and 8, and you will see that the, through the law of substitution and identification, you have, been, you have been buried, you have died, you have rose, you have been resurrected with Christ. Amen? Probably not in that order. I can tell I must have messed that up because my wife is smiling at me. I guess you have to die before you rise. Right? Okay. Generally, the but you never know. I mean, we're talking about... Never mind. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on the things of this earth. For you are dead. Everybody say, I'm dead. Yes. Say, well, I have a pulse. I, I think I'm still, it's not talking about that kind of living, right? It says, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, and it goes on to list what we're, we're supposed to die to. We're not to let, allow those things to be resurrected in our life. Look at verse 10. It says, And have put on, everybody say put on. And having put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. 
Verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all things, put on love, which is, in the, bond, which is the bond of perfection. So he says here that we are to set our affections and our mind on the things that are above. Amen? Let me read, just read to you Romans chapter 13. You can write it if you're taking notes, but li just listen to these words. And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, nor in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Amen. Listen, there is a reward for those who earnestly wait. There, are, there is a reward for those who set their affection on things above. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, But as it is written, I is not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. Amen? So we're living in a time where we can't get discouraged and give up now. Don't start going back and live in the way that you once lived before. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, don't throw away your confidence, for there is a great recompense of reward. Then he goes on to say in verse 39, he says, don't, don't draw back. Don't go back to where you came from. It's not worth it. It's not worth to go back where you came from. We have something in front of us that is precious, is powerful. The church needs to eagerly await the Son of God. And it's time to not get lukewarm and to grow cold. It's not time to stop praying and reading the Bible. It's not time to stop serving, serving the Lord with fire and passion. I just want this to be stirred in you that it is time to eagerly await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me close with this. Jesus says, I'm coming again. I promise I am. But listen, if you live near the edge, it'll cost you. There's a little girl that kept falling out of bed, and her mama kept picking her up and putting her in bed. And, he asked, and the mama asked her why she thought she kept falling out of bed, and the little girl said, I think it's because I stay so close to where I got in. We shouldn't stay so close to where we got in. Right? Paul said that we're to run with patience the race that's been set before us. Can, 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 you, can you accomplish your purpose if you never leave the starting line? Pretty difficult. But God has a purpose and a plan for each of our lives. And I want to challenge you today, eagerly and earnestly yearn for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That day is coming. Could be this afternoon, it could be next week, next month, it, it could be 10 years from now. But I tell you what, there, there's something that charges us. There's something that, 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 that causes us to, to increase our capacity to live when we're earnestly desiring this. Let's stand up. Father, I thank you for your word today. And I thank you that you have translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. And we are no longer citizens of this kingdom. 
We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And you have promised us, Father, that your son Jesus would return for his church. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'd be caught up. And Father, we earnestly wait that day. We long and we yearn to see that day. And I thank you, Father, that there is a strength and a grace and a boldness to rise up and to be strong in the, in the day of adversity so that we can fulfill our purpose, so that we can live our dream, so that we can accomplish your purpose for our lives. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Oh, kind of hard to get down these steps. Just want to pray for the Schroeders as they're getting ready to leave. I want to share this with you. Just think about this. As Jeff was preaching, at one point he said, he deposited, he deposited himself in us. We are his abode. Then the Holy Spirit said to my heart, and he says, wait till we're deposited in his, depo his abode, heaven. Woo! I don't know, maybe that didn't mean much to you, but that sure did something to me. So anyway, I want, I want the Schroeders to all come up here. So I always like it when you can practically apply the word of God that you just heard. And Jeff said we make no room for the flesh, right? So today I'm not making any room for the flesh. I'm just going to be thankful that you, this family, is going to be in the will of God. Because that's what you said you wanted. So, hallelujah. Thanks. So, uh, elders, Pastor Pope, would you join us? And Cornelius, would you join us? So, we're just uh, sending them off in the name of Jesus to fulfill the will, the call, the purpose of God in their life. And uh, it's one of those things where you hate to see him go, but yet we rejoice because we know it's the will of God. And so we're going to pray over them. Pastor Harold. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can come to you in the name of Jesus. And we're all called to be your servants. And Lord, these are your servants. You've called them. May your anointing flow through them and give them many souls for their labors. May their lives be truly an example of Jesus, what it means to serve and walk in his way. Protect them, guide them, and lead them, prosper them in all ways in Jesus. We commit him to you completely and totally. In Jesus' name, amen. So as a body, we send you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to fulfill his plan, his purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, you're excused, give somebody a hug, let them know you love them.